Welcome to the JMS Podcast. My name is Jorge M. Sanchez, and thank you for tuning in. Today's guest is the one and only Miranda Caravello. She's a great friend of mine. Uh, I met her through comedy when I was running the com- com- uh, for Scotty Comedy Night, and now she's one of my writers, and now she's hosting Ca- uh, Cafe for Scotty Comedy. Uh, she is a brilliant writer for... She's just great all around. She's a great person to talk to. She's a really good friend to have around and very supportive. And I finally was like, hey, I haven't had Miranda on here before. So I called her up or I sent her a message. Hey, come be on my podcast. And before I knew it, she was right here in front of me. We talked it out. It was a good talk. Before we get there, a friendly reminder to please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already on SoundCloud, iTunes, or even on Stitcher. You can follow JMS Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For a split second, I, I like... I was going to say Tinder for some reason. That would have been weird. Follow this podcast on Twitter. On Twitter. I said Twitter. Tinder. God, we got so much social media. It's all confusing. I don't know. I'm getting all them jumbled up. Ah, the struggles of living in Silicon Valley without even being part of Silicon Valley. Right? Anyway, so let, let's, uh, let's go to our chat with Miranda. I just gonna say he was probably Elijah Wood. I'm like, I, I have some. Maybe he was. I don't think he was. <laughs> God, Elijah Wood, man. I always forget like how how much he he has been in the film industry. Like, have for, you have you seen him in Maniac? Is that the one with uh, with the Home Alone kid? I don't. Maybe I don't think so. It's the one where he plays he plays a um a serial killer, and the whole thing is from his point of view. Because I think that's the only way they could have filmed it. Because otherwise, you would have seen Elijah Wood's twelve year old face. Wait, are you sure it's not the one with the Home Alone kid? And that might be the one with the Home Alone kid. Well, because because uh, I was gonna say because uh, like I feel like a part of me is like Elijah Wood started with Lord of the Rings. They're like, no, he was like a kid actor. He was yeah. a child actor. Oh, no, no, no. He wasn't and the one where they were both kids and he was also creepy. No. Yeah. Was, this is like adult Elijah Wood being adult a Elijah serial Wood. killer. Okay. And it's it's a remake of a 1950-ish movie that's probably a lot better. Uh, okay. And this is just some Ouch. weird... Okay. This is some weird version where my, my, my friend jokingly predicted the twist five minutes into the movie. Was it like Psycho-esque? Eh. Nah. Kind of, I guess. It's not, it's, it's, he has like a collection of mannequins. It's that type of movie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the, the mannequin, the mannequin genre, huh? Yeah, the mannequin man, horror that, genre. That mannequin subgenre of horror. Yeah. So is that it? Is that the show? Can I go? Yeah, that's it. We're all done. Right, great. Yeah, that's, all, that's all I really wanted you here that's for. That's the JMS podcast. You mentioned it's, one movie. It's, yeah, it mentioned Elijah Wood in, in that movie, and that's it. That's is how this we Elijah do it Wood's here. official uh, podcast? I think you know. I might get more listeners that way. Who knows? You like, could just say it. I just, don't think just appeal. Gotta... Be like, welcome to the brand new Elijah Wood fan based podcast. Yeah, the Elijah Wood fan club podcast. Fan club. Yeah. Guy, I don't know the guy with those, those eyes. It's like What's they just pop out. Eyes? They're so beautiful. You're that's dreamy. What I'm yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're just jealous. like I am. Like, do you ever get like jealous of very attractive people? Be like, oh my god, that fucker oh. looks so good. Not really. No. <laughs> So you like you totally just love yourself and who you are. Oh no, I have I have <laughs> I have no sense of self, so I don't really go like I wish I looked like M- M- Mila Jovanich. Oh, the Mila Jovanich is a babe. 
Yeah. She's creepy, though. She seems Why? like she takes herself too seriously. Like, like Ukrainian creepy? It does. Have you seen The Fourth Kind? Is that the one where they're sleeping? Aliens? And aliens? Abductions? Yeah. yeah, I like... She's in it, and I had to turn it off after ten minutes, because it just seemed like she takes herself way too seriously. Mila Kunis? Mila Jovanich. She was in all the Resident Evil movies. Oh my god, I confused her with the other Ukrainian chick. Mila, Mila Kunis from that 70s show and yeah. other movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got that mixed up. Okay. <laughs> that would... I mean, I see it. They both got those those eyes, those weird... Well, they're both Ukrainian. They both have that, that name, Ovovich, thing going on. Is that a Ukrainian thing to have those like kind of deep staring eyes? Probably. They've seen a lot of shit. You know, I, 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 th- I think the trauma can be passed down. You know, you know. Actually, I read an article recently that said that uh, some trauma can be passed on genetically. Are we recording? Yeah, yeah, we've been recording. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> what? It's about to say you got it. There's no intro. You just go straight to it. Right to it. I get right into it. You know, forget all the foreplay. What are we talking about? What are we talking about, Jorge? <laughs> but uh, Miranda, I'm glad you're here. Uh. And the other day, when I sent you to to invite you to be a guest, I was like, why ha- Why did it take me so long to get Miranda on this podcast? I know, Jorge. Yeah. All right, all right. I got enough shame and guilt on me. You don't have to keep on throwing it at me. <laughs> God, Miranda. But but I, I think... um You had Jacob on here, right? I had Jacob here like twice. Can't, I can't believe you had Jacob. I had Jacob here Jacob. twice. And now, and now he's like the film critic of JMS Podcast, so he comes here somewhat regularly. I, I, um, you, you got that weird... Raccoon man here before me. I can't. He's not gonna hear this, right? He doesn't listen to the show, does uh, he? Of course not. He just works for me. That's all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, it's great. Uh, but you know, uh, I, I, I want to probably I want to start off with talking about your latest latest project that I saw, which you made a theater uh, play. A theater play. A theater play. Well, a I guess I, I guess play. I should I should just say play. A theater play. A theater play. Was it not a theater play? Or was it just a play? It's just a play. Just a play. Well, you, you created a great play. Well, I mean, you make you make cinema movies. <laughs> I try, at least. <laughs> I make movies. If it has cinema in it, I hope so. You make film movies. I, I can only I can only hope. No, I mean, I, 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 know, it's, I know it's hard to, to get out of your your film-centric bubble, but in the theater world, in the gritty theater world, we just we just call them plays. I came from a theater world, kind of. What are you talking about? I, I was in theater before I got into film. Um, yeah. Saying that, though, I think a lot of my the- theater-ness has went away. Yeah, you, you, you're, uh, you're cushy. You're, you, cushy. You've softened. You, you've asked. You, your artistic muscles have atrophied because you, you have things like, like equipment and, and yeah. editing, microphones. What is this? <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> but no, seriously, you, you made a play called The Muse. I made a goddamn theater troupe, Jorge. <laughs> and and you, you had it at the air boutique. Mm-hmm. And and this was part of your your collection, your collective uh, or, or organization called the, the Young Outlaws. Yeah. Um, and this is not your first. I remember you guys had other projects. No, it's before. it's our first full length. Uh, it's our third production. Ah, okay. Yeah. So. I was amazed by it. You know, I came in and and because I know I know you were preparing for it for like months or, or weeks, and you seemed like stressed out about how things and this and that, and I was like, wow, like you know, she's really working on something here. And then I went to go see it, and I was like, wow, like that was really good. And and surprisingly, it really worked out with the, with the venue as well. I think the art boutique 
Uh, oh yeah, it's also really our first out. in a building play, so that was interesting. Being being in a in a room, I mean, not like on a stage. That was that was amazing, but just the, the act of being in, indoors. That was that was pretty great. <laughs> so, how did this uh, this playwright come about? This play, the particular the muses. Yes. Okay. Um, it's actually an idea that I've had um, in my head for about four years. Um, and it's it's uh, it, it was a book for about three different versions. I tried I tried writing. Yeah, you adjust that microphone for me. Mm. You work hard. Do you find that distracting? No, no. You look okay. terrified though. Like you don't want me to notice. You're fiddling. It's okay. I, I just wish I was invisible. I wish you were just talking to like. <laughs> Dude, I'll look. Like, I'll look over here. No, no. So I'm just I kidding. I'm see. just kidding. Uh, but okay. So four years. Yeah, I, you, I had the re- idea four years ago. Okay. Um, it originally was a lot more ambitious because the basic gist of the muses is um it revolves around um binaural and monoreal beats i i know i mispronounced one of them i I, no one correct me i don't know what i'm talking about with there are these um frequencies that are talked a lot on the internet um i i heard a lot about them back in my 4chan days um 4chan days yeah i lurked 4chan from like the fourth grade till high school it was a weird part of my life but people (laughs) take your entire childhood yeah i know (laughs) <laughs> okay, but um, it would be it would be like these these frequencies where it'd be like if you listen to a tone at this decibel, it'll make you more alert. It'll make you tired, or or some of the weirder ones will be like this will make you horny. This will make you stop smoking. This will make you believe in God. Um, but really, stop smoking? What like they? It can't. It can't do that. It, but like it was certain, a theory that theoretically. Yeah, but like certain frequencies can change your brainwaves slightly sort of it's a very yeah. it's a very shifty realm of science that well, i put a weird it amount makes of research sense. into it makes sense the ears are pretty close to the brain yeah so i am um, uh, the, the the um central idea was that it was a frequency that induces creative inspiration uh which then goes wrong um i i put i'm proud that this is the project i put the most research into mm. Which is how I came to the whole shtick where it, like the chemicals released when you're inspired are very similar to the ones that are all out of whack when you're schizophrenic, mm-hmm. um, which is tied together into... But, but in, the, um, in, in the early drafts of the muses, uh, there was originally supposed to be a character for every medium of art. Like right. there was, there was um, the, the ones that survived to the play were the, the painter, the sculptor, um, and the pianist, and the dancer. Um, but the there was there was a graffiti artist i remember there was there was um god there was an opera singer um there was there was a reporter mm-hmm. which i i got like so that that was the major obstacle in me actually ever making this project work was that it was way too big for a really long time uh even when i first decided to make a play it, i still tried to keep that huge cast and the original set was supposed to be like split into two, like it was supposed to be a two-story set, which is absolutely ridiculous if it would ever want to be something that I'd do. Um, so I think I finally um, cut it down to the plot elements that, I, that I'm that i the most interested in, uh, which were the... the I, I'm gonna spoil this, I don't, gi- I don't give a shit, it's theater. Who knows when this will be put on again. There's a dancer that snaps her ankle, um, and there's a sculptor that cuts off her hand, and those were the two parts that I thought were the coolest, so I just kept those and worked from there, and then it just everything came together. Yeah, 
And your character development was great. Because I, I remember I caught myself halfway. I was like, you know, I give a shit for these people. Like, like <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen next. And I'm actually legitimately worried. Like, and I, and I, and that's, that's um, like, the biggest thing that I like to do in theater is... Because I got, I got really into um, Samuel Beckett early in my theater career. Uh, are you from Endgame? Uh, yeah, other yeah. stuff. Yeah, and I just... I, I remember watching a recording of Endgame and just loving how absolutely uncomfortable I felt. So, for, for like, all of the rehearsal process for the muses i i told my cast repeatedly i was like you want to do this you want to do that um the movements were a very key element and i said all of this put together we're gonna really make this hard to watch so i'm i'm glad that came across yeah yeah it was was great uh and how was that process like when you had to cut down and and really get to the media to the stuff that really mattered to you to keep in, in this production in particular it was it was pretty easy. Um, it was almost like relief. I don't know where I got it in my head that this needed to be some, like... Because it stopped being... I think originally the, the, the idea was supposed to be some vague commentary on art as a whole. So I, I felt like I needed to include every process of art and like the whole th- and art's, art's fucking huge. So I can't fit all of that into one thing. And it kind of... Uh, the more I cut down, the less it centered around this magical science fiction frequency and more on the characters involved. Yeah, I, I, those elements really pay, played very well for me, at least. Uh, I totally related to some ways to the main character. You know, cause she, Dr. Elliot Carty. Dr. Elliot Carty. And she, because her thing is that she's trying to find again that source inspiration aka the muse for her to be productive again to work on her piece on her art piece and she, she's the pianist and I caught myself somewhere I was like yeah like, like, I, I've been in those situations where I was like alright I, I need to redo what I did before to be this inspired again yeah and I, and I felt like and I think moments like those I've really really heard your voice in that and maybe because I know you but I'm like yeah it's totally I can see like Miranda as that character yeah, I put um like as as a force of habit. Um I think I I started writing I wrote my first book. I must have been 14 or something. And that sounds that always sounds so grand to say it was a shitty book. <laughs> so, people are like you wrote you wrote a novel. Like, yeah, it sucked though. But that's that you just got it. How many pages? Uh it was 50,000 words. So. Holy shit. That was an accomplishment. Okay, he, 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 listeners, here's something you got to keep in mind. This play, you said that you came up with the idea 4 years ago. Uh, yeah. You're, you're, you're currently 19. 18. 18. Yeah. So, yeah, you wrote it for, for when you were 14, huh? Uh, yeah. I think that's amazing. I, I, you, 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 are, you are the most hardest working creative person, youngest person I know to this day. Uh, well, it's, it's amazing in how normal. It's amazing in how non-amazing it is because literally all I do is just keep writing right but like i could have i could have brought in my early my early early stuff because you know like it's it sounds great to think of i think i was actually in the eighth grade when i wrote my first book um so that sounds like oh my god but think of what an eighth grader is thinking think of their mental capacity think of their their shitty shitty thoughts and dreams <laughs> that was so yeah was, i mean I, I totally get you uh, i remember in fifth grade i was already writing short stories and exactly i, yeah. I, I actually illustrated alongside 
the the writing to make it look more professional. But yeah, you, there there were shitty stories as well. But, but that's that's how you that's how you start. That's how you just like it's it's so it it trips me out. The I I can't I I feel weird talking about this because I feel like it's so easy to sound like the most pretentious dick to to be like well, people don't understand. Well, it, it's not so much that you're pretentious. It's much that you you're doing the the do. <laughs> you, you're doing the work. I think especially That's all it takes. Especially yeah. when you're young, like you know, a lot of people go through high school and early twenties. They talk a lot of talk about what they want to do, and it's and I find that there's a minority who are lucky enough or who are are motivated enough at those ages to actually do them. But at the same time, like. Oof. Okay, here's the part where I I I brag. Um, I was in the uh, last issue of the last issue of Content Magazine um, with the Young Outlaws, uh, and I got interviewed, um, which was was about as I think it I think it went a little less smooth than this is because I didn't know the person, so I, I I laugh a lot when I'm nervous, so I'm just sort of pacing. It's a phone interview. I'm I'm laughing in my room. I'm I'm scared out of my well, brain. Well, phone interviews. Wow. I know, right? Uh, she was really nice though. It was um. Johanna? Johanna Hinkle, I think? Uh I'm probably butchering her name. It's on the website. Um, But there was was a point where I ended up saying... um, I I read the interview on the page, and she made me sound very coherent, which which was amazing. And the line was, um, I think... I have a theory that... I'm doing air quotes. I have a theory that when you're young and you find a form of art that you're really dedicated to, it helps you emotionally. Um, but what I actually said is it stunts you emotionally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can see that. So I think it's a very, it's, I like, I don't hold it against her at all. I just think it's hilarious because that's like, uh, it, she, it's, she made you sound good. It's something I tell my actors all the time that if, yeah. if you're, if like you, you miss a word or if you add a new word, you could very easily change the entire <laughs> sentiment of what you're saying. And it, like, usually I'm trying not to like let it bring me down too much, but I think it's hilarious that like out of everything that she could have misheard me, she would have misheard me on something that's like one of the biggest elements of why I made the Young Outlaws. Because when you're when you're young, like I started writing when I was in the eighth grade, and I I was uh I was an idiot, and I did the Stephen King method, which meant I wrote every day. I wrote constantly. I did National Novel Writing in a Month Club. Why is that an idiot thing? Because. I think Stephen King is the only man who could pull that off. And like when you're young and you find a thing that you can do, you 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 quickly go like, okay, I'll just do this thing. I'll do this thing forever. So my my work ethic was my my entire personality was was defined by my ability to be a writer. And it didn't help that at the time I was also struggling with mental illness, uh, because I quickly came to think like, if I'm not writing, I'm not a person. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the type of shit that I, it's, I found out. Um, I burped. I found out um, as I got into uh, high school and met a bigger realm of the people that will later that would later become part of my team. I'm not the only one that feels like this. When when you are young and when you see something that you are able to do, you you like you wrap yourself up into it. You lose yourself in it. And like something that is so important is not only being like an artist but also being a goddamn human being yeah yeah i definitely struggle with that i i think a, a lot a lot of self-esteem in me really affected me when i started college was definitely some factors of that in the yeah. sense that here i am studying film yeah i can't afford half the film 
equipment my my colleagues have. Therefore, am I even a real filmmaker? Like, I don't have time to make these many films. Therefore, how can I call myself a filmmaker? And for, and for the longest time, I kind of, I kind of, and if, again, there's times where I was like, you know, I should watch every movie. I should go, you know, study every little thing. I need to be the best at this. I can do this. I need to do it exactly the best I can. Yeah. And it, it's not really till recently, really. I think I think comedy kind of that opened up to me, uh, where it was more like. I'm trying to see where that sounds coming. Is it coming? I, I have no idea. Oh, outside. Sorry. Since since we took that interesting break, um, I, I noticed um, for for the listeners at home, uh, Jorge's studio is is uh, there's a lot of liquor, a lot of DVDs, a lot of books, and I, I'm noticing a copy of Twilight New Moon sitting that's on the sisters. shelf. That, that's my sister's book. Oh, is it? Yeah. 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 This is the family library. Did your sister like Twilight New Moon, Jorge? She, you know, my sister's weird. She buys yeah, books, she, but she she, she, she never too? finishes them. You don't have a sister, do you? I do. She's around somewhere. Oh, sure. I'm sure she'll come. Um, but but I think comedy really opened up to the idea of like, all right, there's other forms of writing, and on top of that, you know, you should mostly, because one of the first lessons I was taught in comedy was, you know, of course, joke about you and what you you know, the yeah. people, your characters. And that's for me. I was like, all right, I really got to look around and really observe my surroundings. And I was like, and that means, and I knew this before. I just didn't, didn't really follow up on it. Is go through experiences, meaning yeah. live, meaning go, you know, do human stuff instead of just, you know, putting yourself in this bubble of of, of Isn't this it label crazy of how definition. Self-absorbed artists can be. Oh yeah, definitely. Because I, I can't completely, be. Yeah. To say, like for someone else to hear someone being like, I, I just need to do a human thing. Like it sounds absolutely insane, but I completely get what you're saying. You just you forget that, like you can't just be an artist. Like you need to to not only live human things, do a human life, but you need to act like a human. Like you need to be compassionate. You need to be self validated because otherwise you're fucked. Exactly, and I feel like at least for me, I feel like the reason why I felt that way, maybe because like it's. This, this whole thing of a career yeah in, in the arts meaning you know f- define career as something you'll be doing for your life and make a living off I, f- I feel like that that, that self puts a lot of pressure at least not on me to be like gotta make sure you make it somehow to be in this level and I find and it's like you know what a, a career comes and goes really yeah you, you, you gotta do what you want to do and, and, and be with the people that you're surrounded with and live a little you know I think there is is something where I feel like I have it a little easier than you do because I don't know much about the the first thing I learned about theater in the one theater class I took uh, before I what's the story there what what <laughs> what's the story there uh, I'm taking the year off school uh, maybe longer but for now oh, I'm taking I, the year off uh, I thought that you're you're talking about high school I thought you, I thought you only took one one theater class no god and, and god no I was a the- I, like I was a theater kid I wasn't like a theater kid theater kid because they were really loud and touchy I was I was like a uh, I did theater um <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> the one college theater class I took um the first thing I learned was just how immense um the industry of theater is like there are so many careers in theater so like for me to want to make a career like if I wanted to make a career specifically as a playwright or director that would be a little harder but if I just wanted to make a career in theater I have a lot more wiggle room than I feel like you would have Mm. Okay. because I'm just I could just keep doing tech tech shit we need techies we need stage managers back like there's so much backstage stuff there's like 
but but then like I feel like when you're writing a movie, there's like there's there's the person that wrote the movie, there's the director, there's the person who edited it, there's the sound man, a person, sound human, the sound human, sound human. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely. Uh, but since we're on that subject, uh, and we, we the Young Outlaws, how did that come about? Um, and what is it for those who are listening? In, in the Young area? Outlaws is a youth theater troupe um, based out of San Jose, California, uh, and it is it is different from the the. There are a few theater troops in the Bay Area, um, but almost all of them. I feel like it's all of them, but I I don't want to be proven wrong, so I'm just gonna say almost all of them are for musicals. Um, it seems that there's there's a preconception that if you're a young person wanting to go into acting, you're doing it to sing and dance and end up on Broadway. Uh, and from a very early age on, I knew that I liked to act, um, which then has shifted considerably. Uh, but I knew that I did not want to be in a musical. I love musicals, but uh, I cannot sing and I cannot move my body well. Um, <laughs> there's actually, uh, there was a point where I, I my mom dragged me to a audition for Footloose at the Peninsula Youth Theater. Um, I showed up, it was the middle of summer, I showed up wearing a black turtleneck because in my head I was like, this is what actors wear. Uh, and I ended up having to do a dance audition, so I'm um, like wiggling around frantically, uh, sweat dripping down my face and a black goddamn turtleneck trying to dance to the footloose, footloose, take off Sunday shoes. Uh, and for, for I did I did no preparation. Uh, so my, my, my song, I sung Luck Be a Lady, and my monologue was uh, Patrick Bateman's monologue from American Psycho. Sweet. <laughs> and, you know, that's something fascinating about you. You're really into the horror genre. I am, I am. Um... But so I, it's so trying to, to, I'm so rambly, I could talk about theater forever. Um, I, I knew that there was a need for a place for people to go, for specifically young performing artists to go, who did not want to be in a musical. And it started off very simple. And then the more I put it together, the more I realized that even more than that, there was a complete lack of resources for young performing artists that did not want to act. Young performing artists that wanted to direct, to, to, to write, God forbid, to 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 arrange dances, to costume, to build sets, like people who wanted these alternative theater career paths that otherwise would not be able to get their start for years in advance. And the thought occurred to me, I was like, why not now? And so we've um, our interesting selling point is that um, every part of our production is done by someone under twenty one. What happens after the turn twenty one? I haven't decided yet. Um, I don't have many people. I, I mean, I plan to keep them in somehow and, and maybe do. I know CMT, Children's Musical Theater, um, does a yearly show specifically for people who are outside of their age bracket. Um, so I would probably just... I, I mean... The, the, Shit, man. What happens when you turn 21? I mean, I'll still be there. Okay. I'm not... For, I, am, I, in my head, for some reason, like, I think you guys are like, I don't know, like... You gotta, you gotta drink the cyanide. Like they'd kick, I oh, like I'd kill myself. <laughs> like that no, no, was like after you turn thirty one. No, there's no, I, I no want more. to. I want part of the reason why I'm taking a year off is to really try and get this off the ground. And I definitely want to be. Um, I'm I'm the founder, artistic director, and lead playwright. Um, so I want to keep being the artistic director, but ideally, by the time I'm twenty one, I won't be the lead playwright. Mm -hmm. um, I have a few people who show an interest in writing, which is like my biggest thing. I think I just I just get along with writers um, 
more easily than I do with any other genre of person. Interesting. Why do you think that is? They're, they're the same brand of crazy. I don't know. <laughs> I I can relate to that. Like yeah. I can really I really <laughs> like prefer to just be around people who can do stuff, and and like do stuff that I can relate to. Like I can't. I can't really relate to poets. I like poets. I think they're neat, but they 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 like a they're in a different realm of reality than I'm in. It's a good question. That's a very good 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 thing. I don't know. What's a good question? I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean that, that's a good uh, way. Were you compl- that's a good statement. Were you complimenting your own question, Jorge? Yeah. <laughs> no. What I'm saying is because I, I kind of have a hard time around poets myself, except for so, <laughs> We're just a select few. On poets. Huh? We're just shitting on poets. Well, I, my dad's a poet. He's a good. I like poetry. It's just, I'm a poet. I can say that. I'm sure the poets are going around and they're like those goddamn scriptwriters. It's so weird, so so unshaven, and, and I'm also unshaven, Jorge. That's not a diss at you. Oh yeah. I try, I'm trying. I'm trying to grow it out. Yeah. So am I. Uh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Let's see who wins. We should. Thank co- you. We should compare at the end of the month. Oh yeah. Uh, no. No. Beard. Beard. November. Beard. beard November. What's the one said? Oh yeah, I know what you're saying. That no. <laughs> uh, I can't. I can't even say it right now. Yeah. Oh, but I don't even remember what I was saying. The the young outlaw. So you you created the space. Oh yeah, yeah. I I um put together the. Uh, it actually I had all this inside of me, and I was uh, to quote the muses. I had all of this something inside of me. <laughs> um. It's embarrassing how much I quote myself without even realizing it. It's disgusting. that's like that's like a that's a, a super super inside joke. Where you literally only the inside of you could have gotten it right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's, <laughs> I mean, I still have this, like, I still have the script ringing around my brain because I ran through it so many goddamn times. I, but I had all this, this stuff inside of me and in my head. I, I, I reached out to theaters thinking like, hey, I'm a struggling artist. Would you let us maybe do a show? And they were like, nope. Um, so I was quickly discouraged. Um, I, I looked at the rental prices for every venue in in san jose and in like the the surrounding areas uh and they are very they cost money uh very money much money a lot of cash that i do not have um they do not take good wishes as currency um Mm -hmm. and i remember i wandered into the um anno domini gallery Mm -hmm. and uh do you know sherry lakey uh, I've seen her at Frascati quite a bit. She's. I, I haven't really had a conversation with her, but I know who she, she is. She runs the Anna Domini Gallery, and yeah. I think she runs the Collide Gallery, and she puts together First Fridays and uh, Sub Zero, and she's she's a bona fide badass. Uh, and she was just sitting at the desk, and I, I took a look at the gallery, and it's like an industrial little gallery, and, and I, I came out and started a conversation with her, and within like five minutes I was confiding all of my insecurities about how I like I want to do this thing but I feel like I can't and I feel like nobody wants me to and I'm not sure if if there's if there's an untapped market or if I'm making up something in my head and and she was the one that was like fuck it go do it uh and she gave me a discount on two tenths for um that September's art walk the last art walk of the season oh yeah the end of the world no, that was before that. Okay. Um, and I, I was like, holy shit. And she's like, can you give me a show by then? And I think I had, like, I had bits and pieces that I had already written and put on at my high school because uh, my drama teacher, Brian Reed, uh, gave no fucks. Uh, and I just said, I want to write a thing. And he said, okay. He, <laughs> he's, he's, he's an amazing man. But I, I quickly scrambled together 
everyone I knew at that time and uh, spent the, la the, the next two weeks frantically finishing uh, a collection of one acts and monologues uh, based on stuff I'd already written and based on new stuff. Uh, I put it together and we rehearsed in probably a month, like maybe a little over a month. That's usually been a rehearsal schedule. We put out shows really quickly um, and that became Unhappy People. Uh, which we did in a tent on the side of the road, it, and it was, it, it's not like, it, it's, it's, it's got, like, a good structure, but it was, it was a little, like, I didn't really get a chance to revise a lot of pieces, and, um, the, it's kind of, like, not as coherent as I think it could be if I had more time, and I, I'm always thinking that I could go back and grab stuff from there and put it into something else, but it was, that was our start. We were, uh, right outside of a very loud nightclub. <laughs> Which one? Miami Beach Club, I think. Oh, man. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> I, it, so we, we shouted our lines. Um, oh. I'm not sure if anybody heard us, but we made uh, like a hundred something bucks. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And since then, we've we followed the schedule that like whatever money we make from a show goes straight into the next show. <laughs> and we've just, we, we did uh, End of the World, which I actually really like. I think it was a lot tighter, um, a lot more what's what's the um consistent in the formula because unhappy people would be like a five minute scene a monologue a five minute scene a seven minute scene a ten minute scene uh and end of the world was was ten ten minute one x about the end of the world uh so it was really tight it was really quick it was really funny um and we put it on again at sub-zero last year um, I invested a decent amount of money in uh, Pile Mics. Pile is a brand of mics, uh, which is, it's, that's such a funny, am I the only one that thinks that's a funny brand name? Like Pile, like it makes me think like you're such a pile. Is that an insult? <laughs> Do people call each other piles? It can be, sure. Um, but we invested in these. You're nothing but a pile of mics. <laughs> we invested in these pile mics and uh, people could hear us, but the feedback became an instant problem. Um, I'm not sure if you saw that. I, I did be, see it. It would be a lot of, um, no, if you saw like, uh, the point where someone would, would be wearing this pile mic, it would be, it's a headset microphone and a, um, a little amplifier speaker thing, uh, that's put on a, a belt. Um, and they, they'd bend down the wrong angle and like, there'd be a, a burst of feedback and you'd see me in the corner just being like, oh God, oh, how did, I can't, I can't do anything. Um... <laughs> It's, 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 I think I, I say a few times on the website, that we have a website, youngoutlaws.org, um, that we're like, we're, we're like the indie of indie, like we're, we're so underground and just we like so DIY, like n neo riot girl, uh, riot girl subculture type of shit. Is that the best way you just like to describe your, your group as? I described it a lot of different ways. It's hard to, to, it's. We're, we're underdogs. <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're just, we're, we're doing everything ourselves. We're learning ourselves. We're making our own opportunities, uh, which is, which is something that I, I preach to the kids a lot, the children. Well, that's interesting as well, is that, uh, I've noticed it, you have recurring cast members and it's amazing how they, especially for people young, they really are dedicated to this and they're, they're oh, really, yeah. they really are there. And in some ways you're, you're creating a community as well. Yeah, we're like, we're part theater troupe, part like weird art collective or commune because um, as we grow, which I can feel we're, we're, we're growing slowly, um, 
we're not going to be able to get to be like CMT. Uh, and that's not dissing CMT. CMT, something that they're able to do is um, cast everybody. Like, you go to a performance, you are in the show. Like, you might not have a lead, you might be in an ensemble, um, but you're in the show. Like, we will never be able to do that. Because since, like, we we have a severe lack of the resources that theaters like CMT have, we need to make sure that we, like, every cast, every show we do, everyone is is on their game like everyone is on the ball everyone is is ready to work uh and i've had a lot of people say that that's more to expect uh more than i should expect from teenagers uh to which i respond uh bullshit yeah <laughs> and i've i've been proven right thus far yeah do you feel like they're like you're dealing with constant skepticism because you're you and your group are so young yes and no um I, I've said before that um, something I want to teach is to, like, to not expect in your art for anything to be made easy for you uh, or for anything to be handed to you. Uh, and it feels almost hypocritical to say that because Sherry pretty much handed us a tent. Um, Dan, Dan Vado at the Art Boutique, he was kind enough to hand us the venue. Um, but at the same time, it does. I'm. I'm fully aware that uh, we are objectively unprofitable, because <laughs> mm. we're we're a bunch of kids. We're not doing. We're doing original shows. We're a bunch of kids doing original shows. I, I disagree. Well, at least with the with the, the muses, because you had a great turnout. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure. I'm knowing knowing Arbutuki and and me trying to produce shows at, at Arbutuki. Don Vado, he's. Pretty, he he wants. I mean, as supportive he wants to be with the community. I know he needs to make some kind of you know get a good turnout. Oh yeah, he and um we we did make the amount of ticket sales that uh Dan wanted us to make. He said bar sales were bad, which is not a surprise because <laughs> it was mostly teenagers. Mm -hmm. But he still seemed pleased um at the overall way it went out. He sounds like Louis C.K. Is that? Mm, I could see that, yeah. He sounds a lot like Louis C.K. to me. <laughs> if, was, if Louis C.K. ran a comic book shop. Yeah, like, a, he went into the, like, I remember, um... That place I, reminds me of the TARDIS. I swear to God. It's, I, it looks it's small so from the crazy. outside. You walk in, it's huge. I, I remember there was a point where we, we walked in, um, my parents and I drove the set down. Um, that's another, the qualification. I'm slowly building a manifesto of what I would consider to be outlaw theater. Uh, but the biggest qualification right now is, um a set that could be used anywhere. So the Muses is really kind of pushing the gamut uh, at the complications of our sets. It, there, There is uh, two tables um, and five chairs. So that's as, that's as complicated as we've ever gotten. Hmm. But we, we drove everything downtown to the art boutique and uh, a few of my outlaws and I, we set up the stage um, and there was there was a long while where I was alone, um, with Dan sitting in his little little tech area doing doing browsing Facebook I guess, uh, and I'm I was alone, sitting on my set, sitting at the desk on my set. I can't remember what I was doing. I think I was doing some last minute marketing, begging people to come. Um, I was kind of teary eyed throughout the entire encounter because it's it's weird to like think of it, it was it was a moment like that that um really made me realize that like I had been working so hard to get to 
such what seems like a, such a small step, like having a stage kind of seems like the first thing you think about when you think about doing theater. But um, I had been working so hard and like just being there at that moment, I was just sort of like at a loss just to be to be like I'm, I'm even getting speechless right now thinking about it just the feeling of being like on a set for a thing that I wrote that people would pay human money to see um but that's beside uh, uh Dan got up to talk to a guy about like the price of an air conditioner I think and I heard him in the other room arguing and in my head I was like he sounds just like Louis CK sounds like Louis CK arguing about an air conditioner <laughs> like the worst episode of Louis <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> that's, that's I'm eloquent up to a point, I think. <laughs> so what's next for, for the young outlaws? Um like uh me working until I die. Um we have a show coming up in October, um, that I'm really excited about. It's it's uh it's gonna be on Halloween and it's because as you said before I I I love horror. And What's that about? Let's talk about that a bit. Well, I love I've always it was weird when I was younger I was like such a scaredy pants like I couldn't watch an episode of The Simpsons Halloween special without running out of the room. So at what age would you like? Oh, I kind of dig this this blood go- think, and guts. I think I I there was a point I can't say the exact age. Pretty young though that I um forced myself to watch every Simpsons Halloween special because I thought immersion therapy and I think I flipped too far in the other direction and I just started watching like every um disgusting terrible horror movie like I I, I watched um uh what did I watch I watched Serbian film uh oh good lord yeah, yeah. I know human centipede well, that's just a... all those like terrible well, well, hold on because there's several types of horror and, and you know, I think even a Serbian story—that's that, a different type of horror. It's not exactly. Excuse me, a Serbian film. A Serbian film. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, so, so what, what kind of horror horror are you attracted to? I. Is it, do you feel like there's a type, or is it? No, I just I love. I kind of like once I leveled out, once I I I, I jumped from both sides of the spectrum, uh, found a pleasant middle. I just I just love the entire genre. I'm I'm not crazy into slasher movies um although I, I I am kind of a fan of gore like I will, I will say that I do judge a horror movie by how good their gore is mm-hmm. um but I just I love I can't even explain it I just I love I love the oh I do have a favorite uh found footage movies are my favorite really yeah that's oh, interesting I've, I've seen all of them uh 90% of them suck uh but I've seen all of them <laughs> I, they all suck. What, what is about fun footage that, you, that appeals because, to you? Because anyone can do it. Uh, and because of that, everyone has done it. <laughs> okay. But the simplicity of it, the, the fact that it's so... I think, I think I've always had a fan for things that feel accessible to do. Hmm. And like, and I know Blair Witch movie, a uh, Blair Witch movie, the Serbian story. Uh, <laughs> the Blair Witch Project, excuse me? <laughs> the Blair Witch uh, film movie. Um, the the ending scene. Can I spoil the Blair Witch? Sure, that, I don't care. I, just that, that shot where the, uh, the main woman pans the camera to the side and she sees her friend facing the corner. Yeah. And then the camera is knocked out of her hands and there's that silence and then it just clicks out like that. That fucked me up. Why? In the best way. I don't know. Something something about, like, when you do... A anticlimactic ca- endings? Yeah. When, like, oh, this is it. But at, the same time, but at the same time, you know. It's anticlimactic with a climax. Because, okay. like, it's the 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 simplicity of it, mm-hmm. the the way that it feels 
really real. That's why Cloverfield was able to do all that viral marketing, which to me was the best part of the movie. Um, I've seen Cloverfield probably four times. I love that movie. It sucks. I have it over there. It's on my D- personal DVD uh, collection. What's your favorite part? The part where the guy is shaking the camera and he's going like, Derek, where are you, Derek? I don't... I just remember being... Oh, uh, or was it the five endings that that movie had? They have five endings? You know, like they're walking around and then they, uh. they go in the helicopter and they're like, we're saved, the end. And then the helicopter crashes and then they run around and they go under a bridge and they're like, what's going to happen now? The See, end. I, and I the think, bridge I think, crashes. I think why you're disappointed with Chlorophyll because there, there's not enough gore for you. It's not even... There is. There, there is. Not my really. favorite, my favorite part of that. My favorite part of that movie is when the girl gets infected and they and take she, her to the other oh, room and you and just she blows see... Up. She blows up. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I, it just, it Dude, like I it saw didn't... Cloverfield in theater. Maybe that's why. I also saw Cloverfield in theater. And, and, so good. And you didn't like it? It's Oops, not sorry. The... <laughs> you, you... I, I... Oh, no. Oh, no. Very good. You're fucking up your own podcast, dude. No, we're good. I, I just want the viewer to know uh, the viewer uh, the, the, <laughs> the viewer the, ear, the viewer of this podcast to know that that this is Jorge doing all of this not me I'm being a perfectly good pod, podcast guest it was our, our it was it was our earphones not the mic so oh. it, the recording is fine I'm looking at the stuff here we're good but um I it's it just Cloverfield it didn't feel like they knew when to stop the goddamn movie mm. and I think once they like JJ Abrams. Like, he had a good model of a monster, and then when you see, like, the thing's face, it's kind of like, oh, yeah. Because it's like all this build-up where you only see bits and pieces, and then it's... Here's where we differ. Me, when it comes to horror films, I love monster flicks. Uh, like For me, when I was a young age, that, that was the kind of filmmaker I wanted to be. I wanted to work for the sci-fi channel and do these, these monster flicks that they, every Saturday they came on. So there's a special place in my heart for those kind of films. I think Cloverfield kind of... It's part of that. I get that. I mean, I did see... Uh, did you see 10 Cloverfield Lane? I did. I did. I also saw that, and I was disappointed uh, that they didn't have any sort of monster in it. It was really good, though, until the last 10 minutes. Yeah, last 10 minutes kind of killed for some it for reason, for, for some reason, in the, you you know the story behind that, right? Uh, the production of it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, I, it, that it was originally um, yeah. Valencia, so that was just that right. part of the, the bunker, and yeah. then... For some reason, they were like, "Well, let's add ten minutes of a completely well, different movie," which was a great film. Oh, until so good! The last 10, until until like, they're oh, like, <laughs> "Really? You just had to?" Let's add a completely different type of alien for some reason. Uh, except but, except Clover's not an alien. They uh, Clover came out of the ocean. Uh, I know too much of about Cloverfield. But other than that, so you're more into the uh, gore and, and blood and guts. Not necessarily. I like blood and guts. Um, I have, uh, I am, um, I'm not exactly proud, but I'm not exactly ashamed to say that I have seen um, all the Saw movies. And every They're pretty good. Fl- at least the first good. couple are pretty they're, good. They're all the same, but for some reason, every time that ending twist thing, it always gets me. Um, mm. And all of the Final Destinations several oh, times. I, the second one's the best for me. Was that the roller coaster? No. Second one was the highway. Oh, oh yeah, they're all the same. I've seen all of them, and I only watch them in marathons. Did you see the last Final Destination movie? No. They they ended it where the first one began, which may, which seems like a crazy twist until you realize that like Final Destinations two through seventeen referenced the previous right. destinations. So yeah. it's like you think about it. Um, but I I do like it, it's like a guilty pleasure. Those 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 
violent type of movies. Um, but I, I am also really into like psychological now, stuff. And um, now, do you feel maybe there there's something about seeing people in peril, in gory peril that that really talks speaks to you? Because I find it so interesting that's where you you're kind of really into that. And I, I always wonder why. I don't. Okay. So there's a thing. There's a method behind my madness. In my head, it occurred to me when I first wanted to transfer the muses from a book to a, um, a, uh, a holy shit, a theater, the thing I want to dedicate my life to, to that I just forgot. Um, I wanted it to be immersive. And some a big reason why I want to combine, I want to put horror back in theater. Uh, or put horror in theater, because it's really not that many. There's Sarah Kane, the only um, horror female playwright, or horror playwright in general that I could think of who wrote some fucked up stuff. There's a stage direction in one of her plays where a guy eats a dead baby. Um, nice. Yeah, right. <laughs> Nothing better than a good dead baby. Um, but the, the the act of making something, I want to make something immersive. There's a type of theater that I'm researching into. I already sort of know a bit about it, but I'm not sure how accurate my information is. called Theater of Cruelty. Theater of Cruelty. Yeah, it's it's a method of theater that combines... I like that title. The, it sounds cool. Yeah. Um, it's edgy. That, that combines the art with, with shock and spectacle. And, and I want to put horror in theater in, in a way that would... would shock an audience and in my head I thought what's what's like more shocking than seeing because you you grow numb to violence on screen that's why I can watch Hostel 3 like over and over again and laugh when the girl gets her face cut off and the guy holds it up to like all the rich white people and they do this polite golf class because you, you're not aware of it you're not so you in feel it. you desensitized I think a lot. It's a whole. I'm not the only sociopath. A whole generation of okay. people. They're 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 desensitized because there's a screen between them. But if you're if you're three feet away from a woman as she staggers off stage and you hear her cut off her hand, you're no longer just a person watching a movie. You're an accomplice. Mm-hmm. You're in the room. You're you're you're. There's no there's no detachment. Like you're there. And you did nothing to stop it. And you did nothing to stop it. <laughs> I like it. So that's that's something that's a major goal that I, that I want to do. I want to to like, and it seemed like I want to use the parts of horror, um, which are mainly the like. In that's why our, our um, Halloween show. I wrote a, a forty-five minute one act play called Horrifying, um, about a, a a horror director in his steadily deteriorating mental state. And that's where it, it, there's less violence um, and more just the, the psychological aspect, like the something where like it, the, there's like a spectrum. And on one end, it's you hearing a woman cut off her hand or hearing about a dancer that snapped her ankle and you could see the bones sticking out of the leggings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one end of the spectrum. And on the other hand, you're just seeing someone slowly fall apart in front of you. Mm. Like like just, just literally falling apart? Yes, Jorge. Wow. It's like you know those uh, those old haunted houses where you like stick your hand in this bowl. It's eyeballs. Oh. It's it's. They it's stick, what? <laughs> you know those haunted houses where they like stick your hand in this bowl no. of spaghetti. It's brains. No, no one did. No one did that to you. No. One of us had a fucked up childhood. Um, it might have been me. But seeing seeing someone who is who is having a crisis, having us like a severe mental, life and death, a severe me- not life and death. 
a severe mental crisis watching someone break down in front of you. Psychological horrors is probably the scariest for me. Yeah, I feel that so they're, they're the most relatable. Yeah, and they're more because you know to stop someone from killing somebody, you, you shoot whatever. Or, or you kill but the don't person. Say it like that, because there's the problem. Like, what do you? you well, but, here, but here's what I'm saying, though. Hear me out. Okay. But when somebody's psychologically fucked up, and you you really see it from their point of view, you you kind of sympathize, kind of. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, like she, she, that person just couldn't help it. You know, like, and I think maybe this is why Stanley Kubrick's um, Clockwork Orange is such a fascinating film. Oh yeah. Because yeah. it's like psychologically, you know, society tells you what's good and what's bad, and and they try to change a person, but when someone's uh, psychically fucked up and have a tendency to to do cruelty it's like you can't really stop it yeah but i i um something i did with horrifying uh is that i'm i'm schizoaffective bipolar um which is like bipolar with the lemony twist of schizophrenia uh and i'm i'm medicated i've been medicated since like the seventh grade uh when were you diagnosed uh like seventh grade and then they were like we should give you some pills and i was like okay what, what was the sign uh it wasn't you writing i hope not <laughs> <laughs> she wrote a novel oh she must be <laughs> schizophrenic no no it's it, it's i have a family history of it so lucky enough there were people who could see the early signs of the bipolar really sh- showed itself first uh you know the uh unstable quick fast thoughts that you can't keep up with uh sometimes it still happens well i will i'll think faster than my mouth can follow uh, lots of these 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 uh highway fast train of thoughts mm-hmm. um and they noticed that and took me to therapy and uh got me a psychologist and the psychologist was like this is probably a thing and i i literally have the same diagnosis as uh, a member of my family i'm not gonna say who because they want me to stop outing them every time i talk about my art um well how much of this do you put into your work so much all of it okay that's like when i'm not writing horror i've, I've always been fascinated with writing um you know you like with with sort of like tempting the void like i i the first thing i ever wrote involved these characters that were like beyond saving like people who just like you know when you're down so low it sounds like i'm about to break out of the song um that you can you can either like make the choice to get better which takes a shit ton of effort uh or you could just decide not to get better and just stay low that's something that fascinated me. Uh, it's not so because I I guess I was sort of there for a few years, um, but still putting putting that amount of of confusion and dread and and just severe depression. Uh, it's a very clear work. It's a very clear theme in a lot of the stuff I wrote. But in horrifying, that was the first time where I uh, really toyed around with the psychosis of what I have. Um, and I put a lot of very vivid imagery because that's a thing that happens. Mental illness is different for everybody, but for me, my schizo, uh, my schizo, my uh, schizo acts up, and I have these very loud, very vivid, uh, and very uh, weird dreams mm-hmm. that stick with me. Um, and I put that's that's a central theme in horrifying the idea of dreams, and I put my exact dreams into um, the script, and I I put like I, I managed to get that feeling of dealing with my psychosis so vividly that I actually gave myself an attack writing it. Oh, wow. <laughs> a few ones, actually. Um, how, I, how do you deal with those attacks? Do you... Clonopin. 
Clonopin. Yeah. I have a prescription. I'm not just taking Clon. Clonopin is great. <laughs> 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 it's addic- it's addictive. I'm on a low enough dose uh, to the point where it's not a major problem. But yeah, clonopin. Um, I'm getting smart enough to the point where if I feel it coming on, I remember one of my like early books. I wrote. I started having a uh, uh, an episode and um, chose instead to finish my novel instead of taking my medication because I knew my medication would make me drowsy and I wanted to finish it on time for a completely made up deadline. Um, but I've, I've grown past that because I, I realized a lot of people in The Young Outlaws are people dealing with mental illness and I you sort of become aware of your own actions and you don't want to brag about being like, oh, I had an episode and did nothing about it. Um, because you, you, you're you a person that people are looking up to or looking at at least. Like yeah. you're, you're being watched by your team. And there's a sense of responsibility now too, right? Yeah, I almost stopped writing Horrifying halfway through um, because I was kind of like, I think I'm getting too deep into some weird territories but I sent the script to someone else uh, and they were like this is really good <laughs> so mm. my ego kicked in and I, I worked through it uh, and it is really good it's it's the script uh, we haven't started rehearsal yet but it's it's very close to my heart already just based on how familiar it is um, both in like it's it's I think it's just real enough and just um pretend enough to the point where it, it creates a really nice dream like my one problem is that I could easily see someone with my diagnosis or with a diagnosis similar to mine see this production um, think to themselves oh I know exactly what that guy is talking about oh no um, because the main character he doesn't get better um, <laughs> he kind of loses <laughs> so that's my one problem. I, I, I'm struggling with writing about mental illness. It's hard to write it in a way that seems like very noble and very like, you could keep, you could do it. Right. It's a lot easier to be like, you'll probably fail. It always is. I feel. Yeah. I, I think f- failure, I feel, it's always, you feel like it's the easiest thing or the most probable thing to happen. Yeah, it's the thing you think about more than being like, I can do this. Yeah, and I think it goes back to the whole thing of of worry about that less and just more, more enjoy the process of it. Yeah. Like we mentioned before, like we, we put these labels on ourselves at a young age and that stressed us out because we try to keep up these expectations who we were supposed to be. Instead of just really enjoying the process and really looking at what we have in front of us. It is, it has, it, and it's helped a lot because like toying with the ideas of like do you ever think about what you would do if you just woke up uh and completely gave up on life and just decided to do whatever you wanted probably go back to sleep that's it you, is that no an option? one thinks about that i mean yeah i guess <laughs> just go back I to think sleep. about that a lot yeah, i mean because you know what because that has happened uh I, I, dude but i mean i have... I woke up so many times and i'm like i don't want to wake up i don't want to go to school i don't want to do shit i just want to stay and in, in this bed and just sleep no but that's still your life i mean the point where you like you like have you considered the point where you would look around and be like i'm going to completely abandon every part of this and start over somewhere or just live uh, in a lake maybe. yeah yeah I, I had those thoughts i i like would always uh, i would toy with thinking about what i would and do I, I, and I, uh, Here's what I would do if I completely decided to give up. What would you do? I would, you know how the in and out drive through is always crazy crowded with cars? 
Mm-hmm. I would I would need to find someone else, convince them to also give up on their life. We would each get a car, right? And I would go first, and I would go through the line, and I would go to the very, very end of the line, and then I would have my other friend go to the very, very beginning of the line, and then we would um, lock our keys in the car, get out, and walk away. <laughs> and I, I think about that a lot. <laughs> Not yeah. enough to the point where we'd be like, I'm going to do that, but something about that. And just get your cars towed? And like, well, because oh. we wouldn't care. We'd, we'd be yeah. wandering into the desert. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, like for me, I, like, there's so, especially since I graduated, I was like, you know, yeah, because you were there when I was like, I don't, I you know, I, I don't know if I, should, if I should, yeah, what now? Should I stay in San Jose? Should I go? You know, and all these other factors. You've exited and, the womb of college. And 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 there was a point I was like, what if I just started over and like became a fisherman somewhere, <laughs> or or like worked in a <laughs> ranch? Totally, I totally get what you're saying, or, but at the same time, it's like. You're not gonna be a fisherman. Exactly. It's like all these fishermen. They're gonna be like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and then I was like, "No, what have I become? Like, we just work in a ranch and yeah. in Montana specifically, and just grow a very long beard and live that <laughs> that life out there." You know, is that an all artist alone. thing, or do you think it's like a human thing? Well, I, I thought it was just a me thing, but now that I'm listening, that you go through that as well. It's it's um. Have you read Catcher in the Rye? I've read it, yeah. Holden Holden Caulfield talks about that in Catcher in the Rye, like the, the the idea of just like building a cabin somewhere, like doing doing a um. Who's the guy that built a cabin? Emerson. He- no, he didn't build a cabin. Henry Walden. Thoreau. Henry David Thoreau. Yeah. Yeah. Thoreau. Um, who's the guy that built a cabin? I was hoping you would be a smartass and say Lincoln or something. Um, but he he talks about so it's I think it must be some sort of intrinsic human thing to think about because it's possible you're you're a you're a sentient um individual you could very easily step out of the studio and just fucking never be seen again right yeah and that's like i i think it's like the void that we like to sort of flirt with occasionally the the idea of like it's not even suicide because suicide is an ending that's that you have to make a solid choice what if you just stop about a change what if you just stopped making choices and just like went into a goddamn meadow and why are there any meadows i'm sure they're out there there's a field near my house yeah well that's the problem meadows are are glamorized i I think a lot of people have gone through meadows and i realize it's a meadow i no i like i went to a good field there was a field a plot of land on the side of this this busy road near my house there was a field and the grass was so tall that you could like hide in it and i spent an entire summer there alone i would go every day i would take my bike I would not tell anyone where I was going, and I would just sit uh, alone in a field on the side of a road where no one could hear me scream. And would you be screaming? <laughs> I wish. No. Oh, my God. I can't well, believe I wasn't screaming. What would you do in this meadow? I would just sit. I would I would eat fruit. I would, I would yeah. buy fruit from the grocery store nearby, and I would eat Pringles. I don't... I, I have memories like that. I remember I, I used to climb the rooftop and just sit there and watch the neighborhood and just eat and just yeah and Im- imagine like like I don't know like I was somewhere else and just whatever. Yeah, so just, just spend some time in solitude. Yeah, we're pretty solid so, solitary people, which is weird because you know you do what you do and I do what I do, which involves you know networking with other people and people seeing us as you know uh, producers of sorts. Yeah. And therefore social, but the, yeah, it is. I don't know about you, but for me, I'm I'm 
very anti-social. I, oh, I I'm I'm a I'm a I call myself a loud introvert. Um, because loud I could be I could be very friendly, and I think I think I'm charming. Um, I I could, but there's there's I reach a tipping point where I'm like I need to leave right now, <laughs> like right now. That happens to me in almost every party I go. Exactly. There comes that moment where I'm like, uh, I think I overstayed my welcome. I, I should I should probably leave. <laughs> Fuck, I, it's fucked up for me to say this, but sometimes I get that into, I, I get in that mode in the middle of a conversation with somebody, like somebody I I've just met. Uh, just the other day, yesterday, last night, we celebrated a EP release of a musician, which I helped produce. I saw that on your Facebook. And yeah, and and some guy just wanted to talk to me about music and about my photography that was in the album. And like nothing against the guy, it was you know it was great. But like like a minute in, I was like, I, I just I just want to walk away. I don't want to talk. I, oh, I, I I'm, just I'm fully aware. <laughs> Leave you alone with my cake. <laughs> I'm, I'm fully aware that if I make any sort of like fame or reputation or get any sort of success uh, to the point where people would like be talking to me, I would be so 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 bad at it. Like I I completely get it. Uh, you know I, I mean I had this conversation with with, with the next um, recently about that and and so. And I, I should ask you this, you know, because a lot of people assume we get into this because either f- for the fame or for the for the recognition. But for me, it's not really uh, I, like for me, I, I get worried about that. I'd be like, uh, yes, selling out, not, not, not exactly selling out, but to be a looked up um, person of influence mm. almost. You know, even running the the uh, for Scotty, you know, like I got a lot of young comedians asking me for advice. And I get very nervous about that. Uh, in a sense, and it's like, why do I do what I do? I just, I just have to do it. I, like for me, it's a compulsive thing. I have to to make films, or I have to write, or I have to do something of that sort. It's like for me, never has it been like, oh, I just, you know, I want to have a mansion and I want to be on TV and I want to be that. Because honestly, I wouldn't survive in that element. I really wouldn't. Well, I want a shark. Um, and I want to I want to get them little custom shark clothes with lasers on the head. No, just Laser a regular. That's just a regular shark. Just a regular get them a little shark dress. Um, and take take them out in in a tank with wheels. No, I um, it's a weird. It's weird to say because I am um I want to be known. I want the young outlaws to be known. I'm absolutely desperate for this to work as a theater troupe. Um. But the Young Outlaws has kind of been absorbed into me. Like, I've kind of sort of fallen into... Like, uh, the anniversary of the Young Outlaws is the first Friday in September, and my birthday is September 19th, so I've just combined the two. Um, (laughs) So it's kind of stopped being my birthday and started being the anniversary of this theater troupe. Um, But that itself is a a selfless act. Well, I'm not selfless. I'm not selfless. Nobody is selfless. We all have... No, but I mean that in a good way. I mean, I mean. That's... I I know, but I I, I don't want to be. I'm not selfless. I have I have reasons. I have I have I want like, I want to start a revolution, and I want nobody to look at me. <laughs> exactly, that's the best way to put it. But at the same time, I want everyone to look at me. I want people to see that, like, like I want to. I want every young artist to see someone who is their age, someone who who works hard, someone who is stable, someone who isn't following a conventional life path. I don't know if I'm going back to school, mm-hmm. but I'm someone who's still managing to be both a good artist and a good person, uh, yeah. the best you can be at least. I want I want people to see that. I want people to see that that's absolutely possible because you have these kids who are being like, what the fuck am I going to do with the rest of my life? Who, kids who feel like they need to follow this 
pre-existing ladder one rung at a time and like go go to go to high school because go to high school because it's a law go to college because they're supposed to get a job that they should have and then eventually wake up one morning and be like what the fuck am i doing you know just like that that look it's weird my generation is the first generation that has made the term existential crisis trendy Mm-hmm. It's it's insane. People, these kids who who clearly don't know the full extent of existentialism, but at the same time, fucking know the feeling. And that's that's astonishing to me. And I really I really feel like it would make Kafka roll around in his grave, his little tiny <laughs> Czechoslovakian grave. <laughs> totally would. Yeah, little, I could see that. With his, didn't he do cocaine? No, no, he slept with prostitutes. Though. Yeah, that's what he did. Yeah. No, I, I I'm pretty sure there's some drug use. There must have been absinthe or something like that. Oh, that good shit. Probably. Why don't people do absinthe anymore? I, I heard it makes you. I heard it makes you a better writer. So I don't know. I should. From I should. Who? I should check it out. Yeah, I don't think you should. You should just be a better writer. You know what makes you a better writer? Reading or mm. watching movies, and it's it's cheaper than absinthe, probably. But it's not as fun as absinthe. I'm like talking like I know. I don't know shit. I've never had absence. <laughs> I've seen that scene in Moulin Rouge. Oh, yeah. Well. With the green fairy. <laughs> I imagine it's that. You turn into Ewan McGregor. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> what a movie that exists. <laughs> I was so into that movie when I was a kid. A lot of theater people were. Yeah, I love... I love... I'm, I'm actually... I am... I say that we're a non-musical theater troupe, but we are doing a musical in November. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I think the some, great, the great thing, musical. the great thing about your organization is so inclusive. I'm doing, I mean, I'm doing you, air quotes. You're, you're young, you're diverse. You know, I remember you mentioning at the uh, the Muses that it's like a, it's it's another great place for for the queer community. Uh, oh yeah, I'm gay. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, viewers. Well, I don't think it mattered to really point that lovers. out. But I I know, but I also I'm but, gay. <laughs> but but the the young outlaws is very inclusive to like a wide variety of people, which is, I oh, think yeah. is great. We have a lot of we have a lot of um, non-binary individuals, um, which is which is an interesting dynamic because we have a lot of uh, a lot of kids who will um, apply and they will have completely different names to be referred to, completely different names and pronouns to be referred to when they're um, outside with their parents or with people who they're not out to versus when they're in rehearsal, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, it's sad. That makes me sad. Um, Just makes them harder to direct. No, God no! What are you talking <laughs> it, about? It then? bums it bums me out. Like I ran I ran into uh, one of one of my outlaws at the boardwalk, and uh, uh, they were there with their family, um, and I I ended up meeting their grandfather, and it occurred to me that I had absolutely no idea what this person's given name was, so uh, they they were like, oh, you you know my niece, and I was like, yes, I'm friends with her. So it's 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 confusing for me. So God, but you know. Like God knows how much worse it is for them, but it does make me like feel good knowing that we're providing a space where this person can be who they actually are. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's important. To that's me. awesome. This is like a combination. I've ha- I've had friends of mine um, give me criticisms um, for th- they're saying like you can't be a director and a mom. Uh, I agree, but. Uh. It depends. That, At the same time, there's blurred I, lines for sure. Yeah, I kind of like I'm making a point to be a director and a youth leader. 
because I was I was president of my high school's GSA for three years, uh, and that was that was a very important part of my life. So you're you're really not worried about having a, po- a position of authority. That's good. That's that's. I uh, it's eh, I'm not worried about it. Do you worry about it? Oh yeah, definitely. Come on. Why? Come on. We've worked together running for Scotty. You know how I stressed out I get about you know, make sure everything's doing things yeah it doesn't it doesn't bother me i think i've always taken a leadership thing i've always just done something i've i've like a th- like t- too too much so to i'm trying to learn to rely on a team uh and that's something that i think i've improved on greatly because i'm used to being like no one else is going to be able to do this so i got to do everything myself and i think that comes with being an introvert maybe i'm not entirely sure yeah yeah I don't know. Were you, were you, uh, did you ever do, like, were, what were your feelings on group projects back in school? I kind of hated them. Oh, they terrified me. Yeah? Yeah, they were so scary. I can't like people. <laughs> I hate them. Collaborating with people. I don't, I don't hate them, because I've, I've always feel like that, no, every time I'm forced to interact with someone that I don't know yet or that I'm never really going to get to know, there's always a hypothetical situation in my mind and that's when um, I I always worry that we'll reach a point where we both run out of things to talk about and uh, have nothing to say to each other and just are mutually sitting wishing the other person wasn't there. And that has never happened to me before, but that fear never goes away. (laughs) The awkward silence. And it's because it's just, I, I, I don't, I've always had trouble relating to, to other people. Like, I don't, that's, mm-hmm. I think in high school there were five people that I, I really gave a shit about. And then beyond that, what's good though is that no one seemed to really notice that. I have a lot of people that I went to high school with come up to me and they're very friendly, a lot more friendly than I, I think they should be. Um, <laughs> but they seem to think that I was, <laughs> someone's going to listen to this and be like, oh wait, she doesn't actually care. Um, they, they, there are a lot of people who seem to think I was friends with them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's interesting. But I, 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 I can relate to that too. Yeah. Uh, like I do, like I'm 26 and I don't really talk to any of my high school friends or even my community college friends, except for a select few, you know, something weird about that. I always felt bad about that too. I was like, ah, why don't I keep in why? touch with them? I don't know. I just do. It's like, because cause I, I see groups of, of people I went to high school with and they're still like very close friends. Yeah, but they have like, their oh. own, they're, they're, they're following their own starfish, man. Come on. <laughs> I guess so. I All right. We reached an hour, so we close up shop. Oh, shit. Where can people find your stuff, Miranda? And um, You can find the Young Outlaws on youngoutlaws.org. Uh, and also, we have a Facebook page that's Young Outlaws Theatrical Project. Um, there's an Instagram somewhere in that. Uh, and I am on Facebook under my name. Uh, <laughs> and you can also find me Wednesdays at Cafe Friscotti uh, at the Comedy Open Mic, which I apparently run now. <laughs> sort of. Oh, you really talked about comedy. How, how, how did you get into comedy? You came out of nowhere, huh? I, I like comedy. I don't want to. I don't want to talk too much because I already. I'm already having trouble getting the other comics in the scene to kind of like respect me. Um, I the one time I hosted the scene, I did get some shit from uh, a few like two comics called me sweetie. Uh, oh, one of them. Sa- one of them looked me up on Facebook and said I had a cute profile pic. Uh, Whoa, we we, we got to talk after this then. Yeah. Oh. So, but that's beside the point. Oh, hey, where can people find you? <laughs> 
on this podcast, JMS Podcast. Follow JMS Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and website. Is there an ending to this? How do we end this? I just thank you for coming. I appreciate you coming by. You're welcome. <laughs> it's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>